you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew 7, we're going to look at verse 15 through 20 this morning, continuing on in our series over and over again called Disciple and making our way through the highlights of Jesus' teaching throughout the book of Matthew to understand what it means to follow him in our lives. And so if you were here last week, we we talked about kind of this transition that Jesus makes in chapter 7 where uh, chapters 5, 6, and the most of 7, Jesus has given us the core of his teaching of what it looks like when we turn our lives over to him and follow him. And then he makes this transition and the last kind of three chunks of scripture in Matthew 7 have to do with choices that you and I have to make in order to follow him with our life. Last week, we were, if you were here, we talked about, Jesus talks about really in life for all humanity, there are only two paths or two choices in life. One of those is taking the small or narrow path that leads to a small gate that ultimately opens up to life, which is obviously the choice that Jesus wants us to make. And then there is this broad road that leads to a wide gate that's very welcoming that the majority of our culture in the world will choose, which leads to destruction. And Jesus says to all of us, this is the decision you have to make. So we talked about some of the indicators along those roads that, that last week and the choices we make. Today we want to talk about, now we talked about choosing the right road, now talking about eating from the right tree. Jesus uses another analogy for you and I this morning. We'll look at at the passage that talks about fruit and talks about what we allow to input and influence our life. And if you and I understand kind of the the basic of Jesus, obviously loved to use illustrations and use stories. And so this is a great concept to understand what you and I receive in, in terms of physical food what we're willing to eat or what we think we should eat. So when we think about our own, before we jump to the passage, our own like diet, we know that there's foods that we should eat that are good for us, don't we? The hard part is do we always eat those? Let's be honest. No, we don't. But we know that there's good food, supposedly, and bad food. And we know the outcome of that is what it does to our bodies. And so if we were doing the right thing, if we're we're wanting to, to be healthy... What are we going to do? We're going to eat what is right for us. We're going to eat healthy things. We're going to eat good fruit. And so that's part of the analogy that Jesus is talking about in terms of influence in our life. Now, I've shared before, growing up, my mom was kind of a health nut. She wanted to make sure that we were healthy kids. And my dad was kind of like the poster boy for health, always. He always ate everything mom prepared, never complained, always gravitated towards healthier food, uh, which I was always the opposite. But that's just the way my dad was. In fact, my dad was that way to a fault, in terms of just taking whatever was perceived to be healthy, and that's what he would eat. And so uh, my sisters and I, I can't remember how old I was, but, but I, I, I'm not going to take credit for this. I'm going to let my wicked sisters take credit for this. But they thought it would be funny if we could trick our dad into eating something that he didn't realize he was eating. And so uh, years ago when I was younger, we were growing up, we were cat people, and then I got saved, and I'll never be a cat person again. So no offense to cat people. But we had, so we had cat food, and my mom had got some new cat food, And so my sisters thought it would be a great idea if we could see if my dad would eat it. So they got a little baggie and they filled it full of the cat food. And when my dad got home one night, they went and said, Hey, Dad, there's this new cereal. And it's really supposed to be good for you. It's really healthy. And it tastes really good. Now, my dad was trusting his kids, which he shouldn't have done. And so he said, oh, really? So he takes the bag, and he takes a handful, and he starts eating it. Now, I can't tell you exactly what he's thinking, but I know my dad, he and knew it didn't taste good. But he's like, mmm. 
that's pretty good. And it wasn't pretty good at all. I could tell, but you, I don't know if he didn't want to offend his kids and we thought it was this great cereal. And so finally we, we couldn't hold it in. I mean, we were all about to just die laughing and we burst out laughing. Dad, that's not, that's not healthy food. That's cat food you're eating. And then of course he didn't eat anymore after that. And you would have thought, you know, the little nice shapes of fish and things like that, that comes, you know, with cat food, he would have figured that out, but he didn't because his, in his mind, he thought, well, if it's healthy, then if it appears to be, and they're telling me it is, then that's what I should be eating. You and I have to understand that many times this thing called influence, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, comes in a form where you and I might perceive that it's good, but on, on further review or inspection, you and I realize the things that we are allowing, and primarily the people that we are allowing to influence our life, are maybe not as they seem. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about this morning, and I wanted to take some time as we walk through that. So if you have your Bibles, let me read Matthew 7, verse 5, uh, 15 through verse 20. So Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire." Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, I want to give you a couple qualifiers before we look at this passage. When, when you and I read the first verse, verse 15, and you hear the phrase false prophets, we have a default of what we think about when we think of false teachers or false prophets. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've read through some of the scripture, you hear Paul and Jesus talk about false teachers or false prophets. Now, most of us, our default, when we think of somebody who's a false prophet or a false teacher, is we think about the words that they say. We think about their teaching. We think about their theology. Now, that's true, and there are other passages that focus on that, but Jesus is not talking about what a false prophet or false teacher teaches or says. What he's talking about is what is produced in their life. And that is far more important many times, not always, but far more important many times in our life, is to look at the life of somebody who we are allowing to influence us. And so what we're going to talk about this morning in this is, understand there's a line here. I am not talking about friendship. We are talking about influence. Influence and friendship are two different things. Sometimes they overlap, but the people that we allow to influence us are held to a higher standard than people that we choose to be friends with. And we need to understand that. And so this morning, I want to talk about what Jesus talks about in this passage. He's talking about the influence that we allow to impact our lives. In other words, he uses this analogy, the analogy of good fruit and bad fruit. And that comes in the form of influence. And a false teacher or a false, false prophet can bring influence in our life that produces bad fruit. But on the other side of that, a good influence, somebody is the, that obviously is following Jesus and his heart is right, can bring positive, the positive side can bring good fruit that produces good fruit in our lives. So understanding that, I want to just walk through the first thing is, is looking at the passage, four things that Jesus is telling you and I to beware of in terms of influence, in terms of the things that we are allowing into our lives through the people that are around us. The first thing Jesus says in verse 15, he says, beware of influence that is counterfeit. Now you think, well, counterfeit, that means it's false. Exactly. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. What does false mean? It means pseudo or counterfeit or fake or phony or not real. Pretending to be something that it's not. You and I have to be aware that everything that comes our way, every point of influence in our life isn't necessarily good. 
And there are many times that influence comes from somebody who is doing something that they are not being altogether honest about in our life. They are projecting something about themselves that in reality is not true. That's why it's false. And you might, again, you you think about we're defaulting to church leaders. Jesus is referring to people who come and teach, but that's not exclusively to that. Obviously, going through this passage today, you should be applying this to me as your pastor. That if my life doesn't match up with what I say or, or my, the fruit of my life is not, produced, is not producing something good, then you should probably say, hmm, I wonder what's really going on there. Now, it's not that you get to see every aspect of my life, but hopefully you're around me enough to know this guy's legit or, man, this guy is false. You have to apply this to ourselves, but understanding that. See, what you and I know some of the difference between what's false and what's real according to the context that we find ourselves in. So when you see somebody who you're allowing to bring influence in your life and you see them in certain context and they're different according to the context, then you need to scratch your head for a moment and think, wait a second, something's not consistent. Something's not real. Something is false. So when, when they're in public and when the cameras are on and the lights are on and they're one person, and then behind the scenes and when the camera's off and the lights are off, they're different, then you should pause for a moment and think, wait a second, should I allow this person to have that much influence in my life? A number of years ago when I was in Bible college, we had an assignment for one of our classes. And that was, we were studying church growth. What makes churches grow? By the way, you want to know what church growth is about? You know what makes church, churches grow? Jesus makes churches grow. That's all you need to know about church growth, okay? Many times, it's just the pastor. It's the right worship leader. It's a cool bulletin. It's a nice facility. No, that attracts usually Christians. But the church grows when Jesus impacts people's lives. So that's my little short take on church growth, okay? Back to what I was talking about. So we had an assignment to go to different churches in the Southern California area that were growing rapidly at the time. And so uh, in, in our, our group was about a dozen of us. We picked a church, that, that a very prominent church at the time that was growing extremely rapidly in, uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, it was prim- primarily an African-American church. And so we went there, and when we showed up, we were like blown away. Now, we're like 12 Bible college students who have all these ideas of church and ministry and what's it supposed to be like. And huge church, amazing facility, everything's immaculate, the ushers are perfectly trained, the children's workers are always smiling, everything is in its place. We were like, wow, this is amazing. But then when we walked in the door and we got into the sanctuary, uh, our, our dozen, where we were kind of walking in to find seats together, the ushers stopped our group. And they kind of heard our story a little bit while we were there. And, and in our group, um, we were relatively um, the same color. We were all white, pretty much. And uh, so we're walking into a predominantly African-American church. And one of my friends who's from Oregon is extraordinarily white. Um, I mean, he's blonde hair, really light skin, you know. And so, I mean, he is the definition of what we'd say is, is somebody who's white. And of the dozen of us, the ushers pulled him out of our group. And they walked him up to the front row and they sat him down. And the rest of us were like five or six or seven rows back. And we're like, okay. Now, I know this is a big church. It's a growing church. They were, had a TV ministry, so they were on television all the time. And so worship got going, and we're watching what's going on. And then I started to kind of, it started to put two and two together. I started looking at the front row of the church, and it was a multitude of colors. It was the world sitting on the front row. But if you go two or three rows back, it was extremely one color or the other. It wasn't mixed at all. And then when the camera turned on and the TV show started, everything changed. Everybody minded their manners. Everybody was serious. Everything was locked in. And they went exactly according to time and schedule. And I remember my friend sat there. He felt so awkward. 
But he was. He was the white person that sat on the front row so that the camera could see him. And we all wanted to find out when that particular broadcast came on so we could see him looking awkward on TV. It was kind of funny at the time. But I remember walking away from that and thinking, wow, you know, this is an amazing church and it's really big, but is that what you have to do to grow a big church? Is that you have to pretend something is true when in reality it's not? See, you and I have to ask that question about influence. And that's not an indictment necessarily on that church or that pastor. But it's what you and I have to be careful of that we don't allow to influence us is that we see something that's portrayed a certain way in a public arena, but then what's true in reality when the cameras are off and when the lights are off, what is really true. Those are the things you and I, Jesus says, be aware of those things that are counterfeit. Second thing that he says in verse 15 is that beware of influence that is manipulative. Jesus goes on and he says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. This person has the ability to put on this cloak or this clothing or this covering to appear to be like you, to be acceptable to you, to be something that you would expect to see. But inside they are completely different than who you think they are. And because of that, and I like what Jesus uses the analogy here of sheep and wolves. Sheep, we've talked about, sheep are stupid by nature. They just are. But wolves, on the other hand, are extremely calculated. They're hunters. They're predators. Therefore, they are calculated in all of their maneuvers and everything they do. And they use stealth, and they use packs, and they use all kinds of techniques to hunt their prey. Because they're smart and they're, they're, they're savvy and so they will manipulate sheep and make them feel they're safe and then they attack. The same thing is true of the kind of influence many times that you and I allow in our life from other people. There will be people in your life who will come to you and they will have an agenda for you. And you may not be aware of that agenda and whether it's good or bad. Usually it's not very good. And they will manipulate you by doing things to make you feel like they are one of you and they like you. In fact, when I was early on in ministry, this, this caught me off guard. You know, you go through Bible college, you're trained to do what you're doing. You get a little bit of ministry experience and then you just get thrown into the fire. So three months into being a youth pastor in Ventura, uh, this one couple in particular, they, they started just to gravitate towards, towards, gravitate towards me and Kim and kind of became our friends really quickly. And, and it was really strange. Every Sunday... They would always come to me, and I only preached once, like in the first three months we were there. And so they were like just raving about what a great preacher I was. And, and every Sunday, no matter what I did or didn't do in the service, they would come and they'd praise me. Like if I took the offering, oh man, nobody takes offering like you take offering. And you're like, and like, you know, you're just, I'm young, I'm in my early 20s, you know, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm like, wow, I'm, I must really be something. And they just kept patting me on the back and... Their daughter was in the youth group, and, and so they said, hey, we, we'd like to be involved with the youth. And I thought, great, you're eager, you, you're, you like me, that's a good thing. So, so they started to get involved with the youth, and they were working with kids. And they said, hey, we really want to have kids in our home. And I said, well, and, and you seem like really good people. And so they started having kind of like, not really, we weren't like youth events, but they were just having kids come in their home and hang out, and they were praying together, and they were doing some different things. I thought, what, what, what could be wrong with that? And then I started to pick up some things in their tone when they would talk to me is that, that every time that they would compliment me, they would critique the current pastor. And, and more and more, that was the conversation about how you're such a great leader, but boy, the pastor we have right now, he's not a very good leader. And he was a stinking good leader. His name's Dennis Easter. So they're comparing me to Dennis Easter. And I'm like, I started thinking, wow, man, Dennis has been in ministry for like 25 years and I'm just a new guy and I'm as good as Dennis. I mean, you know, you start to think those things really stupid, but... As time went on, about three or four months after this, this kind of connection happened, 
I started to hear about some of the things that they were doing in their house about how they were kind of controlling kids and getting them to come over their house more and more often. And then I realized the kids that ended up hanging at their house started to separate themselves from the youth group and started to attach themselves to these, this couple. And I, I could start seeing it going. As I sat down with Dennis one day. I said, Dennis, help me out. What should I do? He said, oh, you need to pull them out right away. They're, they're undercutting you, and they're, they're trying to use their, their accolades of praising you and saying how great you are to say to really kind of get, get in behind and, and control kids and take authority from you. So you need to remove them from being a part of the youth group. So I called them into my office and sat them down, and I said, hey, I appreciate your desire to work with kids, but you can't work with our youth anymore. Of course, they got upset, and as soon as it, the, the, the conversation started to go a little negative, I remember the woman looks across my desk, and she says, we need to pray. And I said, no, we don't. She goes, what? We, you're not going to pray? I said, no, I'm not going to pray. I said, I don't need to pray because I know what God wants to happen in this moment. And that is you're not going to work with our young people. And oh, I can't believe that you're not that spiritual that you wouldn't think we should pray right now. Manipulation, manipulation, manipulation. Suddenly, all the compliments that had, they had made just disappeared because the sheep's clothing had come off. And now the wolves were out and they were coming after me. And I felt bad. The person I felt the worst for was their daughter who was caught in the middle of it. And mom and dad were trying to control. And because of that, I learned pretty quickly that the people who come up to me and become my friends the quickest and tell me how great I am, usually those are the people that I'm most concerned with. Because I'm trying to think, what is their angle? What is their manipulation? What is their agenda? What are they trying to get from me that eventually when they get it, the sheep's clothing are going to come off? And is it going to be too late because I've allowed them to have so much influence in my life or even in the church that it's going to be too late? By the way, that doesn't mean that anybody who wants to work with young people is bad, okay? Don't hear, that's not what I said, okay? But going on in verse 16, Jesus also says to beware of influence that is blurred, that it's unclear. He goes on, verse 16, uses an analogy everybody in that day and age would understand. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. He says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Now, you and I think, well, duh, that's rhetorical. No, you don't. But in that day and age, what Jesus was referring to is that there were certain bushes there were buckthorn bushes that, that, that would, would grow blackberries, but from a distance, they would appear as grapes. And the same thing is true for a thistle would grow a flower that as, at a distance could look like a fig. And so what he's saying is that the outward appearance, or at least from a distance, when you can't see real clearly, they look like grapes and figs, but really all they are is blackberries and flower buds that aren't really figs. So he's using this analogy as uh, talking about that kind of influence that comes our way that is kind of off just a little bit. It's kind of blurry. It's not really clear. It maybe appears to be good at first, but then something over time starts to change. And there's something in you that says, this is just not quite right. This doesn't feel right to me. Because what you do is you get beyond the appearance and you realize this is not a grape or a fig. This is a blackberry. This is a flower. This is not what I was in for. This is not what I expected. But it comes subtle over time. That's why you and I have to try to find real clarity with the people that we allow to bring influence into our lives. When I had gotten out of high school and was a part of a ministry for a while, and a specific leader kind of took me under his wing, and he was helping to mentor me. And, and early on, I appreciated all the influence that he was bringing in my life. But the more I got to know him, and the more I got to see his lifestyle, and the more I got to hear him talk, I started, there was a few things that I thought, uh... I don't, probably wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but I thought, this guy's a really good guy. He cares about me. He's trying to, to, to help me in my life. He's inputting into my life. He's bringing me alongside and trying to give me some clarity. As you know, you get out of high school, you're into college, you're trying to figure out what is my life about. So you're, you're at a place that you're pretty vulnerable to someone providing direction for you. 
And so as we got to know each other, and the more I spent time with him, the more I would sit in his office, and he would tell me about my life and what we should do. And, and I remember over time starting to hear more and more things about kind of themes like, you know, you grow up in a really sheltered home, and your parents have really been controlling, and you really need to find yourself getting free from their control of your life. And at first I thought, yeah, you know, he's right. You know, I, I, I probably should be on my own and really think the way I need to think because, you know, my parents have their, their own beliefs, but I need to establish my own. And so, so over time that started to become more and more of a theme to the point where my parents really started to pick up on that. And they were concerned. They could see that there was a disconnect with them. And this just wasn't the natural kind of flow of life where you kind of become independent from your parents. This was a complete shift of isolating myself from my parents. And I remember there was great tension at home because my parents would have dialogue and they'd say, listen, you need to be careful because the advice he's giving you is not good. And then in my mind, oh, they're being controlling. That's I shouldn't be listening to them. And then eventually as we continued on, my parents pretty much, they were leaning on me. They weren't forcing me. I was an adult. They said, you really need to think through this guy's influence in your life. And I remember that was it. And so I went and I sat down in his office and I'm telling him how bad my parents are. And this is what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, you need to move out and you need to separate yourself from your parents completely. And when he said that, I know it was the Holy Spirit inside me who said, that is absolutely wrong. And I remember sitting in his office and I said, I can't do that. And he said, in fact, I said, I don't even trust your, your leadership in my life anymore because at that moment I got real clarity and that clarity was this. Who has known me my entire life and loved me more than my parents? Who have cared for me, who have shaped me, who have disciplined me, who have loved me, who have challenged me. This guy's known me for a year and a half. They've known me for 20-some years or 19 years. And so I remember walking away from that. And that was difficult because I had friends and I had to kind of distance myself saying, you know, I'm not going to allow that influence anymore. Why? Because the closer I got, I realized this guy's not what he says he is. He's a little fuzzy. He's a little blurry. But the more clarity I get, the more I realize I don't need that influence in my life. That was a pivotal point for me in my life and, and my understanding of how God was working in my life. And then the, the fourth thing Jesus mentions about influence and being, being aware of in our lives is to beware of the influence that is rotten. He just comes right out and says at verse eight, 17, 18, a bad tree bears bad fruit, rotten fruit, fruit that's not good. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That means somebody whose lifestyle is a mess cannot produce good fruit in their life or in your life doesn't mean that someone has to be perfect, but there are people who have a magnetic personality whose life is a mess that many times we gravitate towards, and whether you know it or not, you will become like them the more you spend time with them, the more that you allow them to speak into your life, the more influence that you allow them to have in your life. What kind of fruit does their life produce? That's what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying, what do they talk about? What do they say? He's saying, look at the outcome of the way they live their life. So when people have influence in your life, you need to take a step back and ask the questions. What are their relationships like? What is their marriage like? If they have kids, what do their kids look like? How do they function in a work environment? Are they consistent when they're in private as when they are in public? And the closer you get, you and I will be able to distinguish the difference between good fruit and bad fruit. Now, hear me this. Hear me on this. I'm not saying you and I become the judge of all people. But when it comes to influence in our life, you and I have to be a little more intentional about the people that we allow to become close to us and that we allow to influence our lives. Because ultimately, there is going to be some kind of fruit. Jesus, it's interesting, he's saying, well, we think, well, a bad tree doesn't produce any fruit. That's not what Jesus is saying. A bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. 
You will have fruit in your life. The question is, will it be good or will it be bad? And many times it has to do with the influence you and I have in our life. Last week we talked about, Jesus says, one or two paths. But you and I need to understand, part of going down that narrow road that leads to the small gate has to do with the influence that we allow in our lives. Is the influence we have getting us towards that wide road or is it getting us towards the narrow road that leads to the small gate that leads to life? So Jesus talks about that. Now, shifting gears. Now, so you know in the next few moments before we conclude, I'm going to give you some of my own personal journey and the personal influences in my life. Because there are people that I have let into my life that I know when I come to a passage like this, I know they have produced good fruit in their life. Therefore, I welcome their influence in my life. Because they demonstrate the opposite of what Jesus is talking about, what these false prophets were, were demonstrating. Opposite of bad fruit, they, were dem- they demonstrate good fruit. And so the opposite of things is what I want to talk about. So influence that you and I should embrace in our life. The first thing is influence that is genuine. So obviously Jesus talks about false prophets. What about a genuine prophet? What about a genuine teacher? What about a genuine influence in your life? Those are the kinds of people that we should be embracing in our life. Are the people who are influencing you, are they real? Are they honest? Are they transparent? Not are they perfect, but are they honest and transparent? See, that, that's a different question. See, we, oh, I need the perfect mentor. I need the perfect influence. I know you and I don't need perfection. We need honesty. We need transparency. We need something that is genuine and real. And I've talked many times about my dad, and, and he is one of the primary influences in my life, and rightly so. He's earned the right to do that because of who he is. But the reason that my dad has influence in my life is not because he's my dad. It's because who he is in Jesus. And that's one of the things that, parents, you understand this. Kids see everything. We wish that we could shut off parts of our life and not allow our kids to see things, but they see everything. They'll say stuff, and you're like, where in the world did you get that? Oh, I got it from you. You did? I didn't know you heard that. They hear everything. They see everything. Therefore, we influence them either for good or for bad in our lives. And I know for, for, for parents, it's, it's sobering to think, wow, I, I'm gonna, I could mess up my kids. Yeah, we could, but by the grace of God, we won't. Because if we're looking to see good fruit produced in our life, guess what will happen in the lives of our kids? Good fruit. And you and I have to take that seriously. That means not perfection. My kids, I could come, I won't embarrass them, but I have them come and tell you right now. They'll tell you that dad's not perfect. And they'll tell you on occasions, dad's had to ask for forgiveness for his stupidity and not parenting well. They probably think you should probably ask a little bit more than you do, dad. But I don't know, that's a whole other topic. But it's, hopefully it's the honesty to say, yeah, you know what, I'm human too. I'm broken. I've watched my dad over the years and watch the consistency in his life. My dad has been a missionary, a pastor, and a Bible college professor, and a missiologist. He has spent his life in the public arena. He's spoken at conferences, in classes, at churches, every place. I mean, he, he's had great influence, even in our Foursquare movement. And the one thing I can tell you about my dad for sure is that what he says publicly has always been consistent with his private life. What he says about missions and about God and about the globe and about unreached people and about a heart for evangelism, all those things, he has lived that out. And I've watched it. His depth of following Jesus. I mean, I remember mornings when I'd accidentally get up too early. My dad would be on his face in the living room before God praying. He'd have his Bible. He'd be sitting and reading. I mean, his Bible is just, he's had his Bible rebound I don't know how many times now. I mean, the pages literally are just brown. Because his time has just been saturated in the scriptures and and knowing who Jesus is. 
And I've watched time and time again in his life where I've seen him do things publicly that I've heard him talk about privately, and he demonstrates those things. I've told stories about how he's turned the other cheek and how he returns good for evil. And even now, as, as I'm older now, and, and now I, I get to travel sometimes with my dad when he goes global, like we went to China, and watching his life, the neighborhood he lives in, he loves people so much, and he's so committed to missions that he was so excited when he found out that there was Buddhists living right next door to him. Some of us think, wow, look, they moved to the neighborhood, and there goes the neighborhood. No, my dad's like, wow, here they are. The world has come. The world's come to my next door, and I get to be a light through what Jesus has done in my life to them. He did that when we were on the plane to go to Shanghai. I mean, we even, you barely the door closed, and he's getting in a conversation with a girl who wants to learn English, and she wants to demonstrate her English, and she's from Shanghai. And, and within, I don't know how long the conversation happened, my dad, she asked questions. They start talking about church, which we really weren't supposed to do because we were going to China, and they're not supposed to know we're going to church-related stuff, but he didn't care. And that went to the point of talking about the gospel and getting connected with her. And I just watched, and I thought, he just is so consistent. Now, my dad would be the first one to tell you he's not perfect. But I can watch his life, and I can see the good fruit that's been produced, and that's why I invite his influence in my life. And I know, and I've said this to Kim, that at the end of my life, if I'm half the man that my dad is, I'll have a good life. I, will have been, I can be considered as a success because of who he is and the consistency in his life. He is so real and genuine. And the second thing that Jesus talks about, on the, again, going the opposite, the in, in, to embrace the influence in our life that we should embrace is it should be honest. It shouldn't be manipulative. It shouldn't be what we necessarily want to hear, but it, would, it should be sometimes what we absolutely need to hear. It should be honest. And that's what you and I have to come to grips with. The influence that I allow to come in my life, is it honest or do I only like to be manipulated into feeling good about myself so I never want to hear anybody say anything negative about me? Many times honesty is the one thing that we run from because we don't really want to know. We don't want to know if we have issues that we don't see. We don't want to know if, if there's something bad about us. We just kind of want to live in this world of illusion that I'm okay. But good influence that produces good fruit in our life is the kind of influence that we welcome that says, I want you to critique me. I want you to tell me the truth. I want you to be honest with me. I've, I warned Kim a little bit about this. That, uh, I was going to talk to her. I think I did. If not, I'm apologizing to her right now. So she'll, she'll let me know later, which she normally does. That's part of her honesty. Most of you, if you've got to know my wife, she is a straight shooter. I mean, she, you know what Kim is about. She does it. She's not manipulative. She's straightforward. She's honest. That's one of the things I love about her. And she's one of the people who actually in my life I have invited to be an influencer in my life, to influence me. And the reason why is because she knows how to assess me well. Because she knows me. She sees all of me. She knows what I'm thinking. She knows what I'm thinking. When I say things up here, she knows the background that's going on in here. And that's why the primary person, honestly, that I invite their critique about what I say up here on a Sunday morning is Kim. Because I already told you, most of you come up and you say, oh, Pastor John, that was a great message. And I thank you for that. But I'm, I'm not looking for that from anybody. I, I do look for that from her because she knows me. And she'll know when I used my, maybe the, the wrong gift of elaboration or exaggeration in the story. And she'll call me on it. Or she'll say, you know what, you came across way too harsh. You need to dial it back. Or you should have been more forthright about what you're saying in that area. And I will welcome that because she knows me. 
She knows me. She knows in all areas of my life. And I trust her in that because I know she loves me. And she's not saying anything to be hurtful, but she's also not holding back to somehow save me from hurting my feelings. And I welcome that. And so that, that's that honesty and that genuineness. So yeah, she is my friend. She is my wife. But I also have allowed her to bring influence in my life. And that's the result in me is I feel like God has produced good fruit in my life because of her influence in me. Third thing about influence is that we need to embrace influence that is clear. Jesus talked about blurry. He talked to using them again, the analogy of the grapes and the figs compared to the blackberries and then the, 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 the buds on a bush or thistles. You and I need clarity in our life. That means you and I need people in our life that are standards, that are consistent, that are people that you can not just compare your life to, but you can look through their life, through the lens of their life, and help you to get clarity on things. Now, I know we all know the saying, what would Jesus do? And that's great, and we can get wristbands and t-shirts and everything, but sometimes that's hard. Let's just be honest. Sometimes there's a disconnect. Say, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. But it's hard. But sometimes I think there's people that God puts in our life that they're, they, they demonstrate what Jesus is like. They're not Jesus. They're not perfect. But it somehow is a little bit easier for us to understand because they're more like us. One of those people in my life, his name is Larry Powers. He's my brother-in-law. And I, you know I grew up with three sisters, older sisters. I legitimately had four moms at certain seasons of my life. And Larry was my salvation. I'm telling you. When I was about 12 years old, he started dating my older sister, and he became the brother that I never had. And it was interesting as they started to date. We had kind of a, a family tradition every Sunday after church. Uh, everyone, we'd invite people from church. And, and my parents would always bring people who maybe didn't have anywhere to go. And, but, but we'd have people over for, for lunch or for dinner. And, and, and Larry always came over as he was dating my sister. And early on, he came for my sister. But over time, at least on Sundays, the focus changed. Because he would come over, and we'd all eat dinner together, and then about, he had about a two- to three-hour window between when we finished lunch to when he had to be back to, uh, he had a special ministry assignment at church that he had to be a part of on Sunday nights. And so that two hours to three hours was my time with my brother. And so we would go golfing, we would go play racquetball, we would play football, we'd play basketball, we'd play catch in the front yard baseball, and we'd do all kinds of stuff to the point where my sister got mad at me. He would come over and she'd say, you know why he's here? And I'd say, yeah, to come and see me, not you. And, and there was this tension because I would hog Larry. I would. I would steal him because what Larry had become in my life was not only a friend and brother that I could go do fun things with, but he was a role model in my life. He's one of my Bible college professors. In fact, a lot of times when I have theological quandaries that I've, I'm kind of processing through when I've studied the scripture, he's one of the people that I call. Because he's consistent and he's clear and he's a stand. I'm like, Larry, let me bounce this off you. Am I off base? Am I a heretic if I say this? And he'll help to bounce things. He'll correct things. Or he'll say, yeah, no, I think that's, that's a good understanding of that passage. He's that kind of person. He's the kind of person that a lot of times when I'm thinking through especially ministry decisions and theological decisions and Bible decisions, I'll honestly say to myself, how would Larry process this? What would Larry do? Not that Larry is the perfect person, but he gives me a tangible standard of clarity in my life that is consistent, and I know what's there. So many times, I'll, I'll call Larry. The cool thing is, is circle your calendars July 20th, because he's going to preach that day. I'm excited about it. You're going to get to hear. And then eventually, I'll get my dad, as soon as he stops traveling all over the globe, to come and, and speak as well. The final point of influence that I want to just mention, Jesus talks about again in the opposite, 
is that we should embrace influence that's ultimately healthy. So Jesus talks about rotten fruit that is produced by the, the wolves or the, the false prophets. So the opposite influence that you and I should let in is influence that is healthy, that is right for our lives. And how do you know if somebody's healthy? You get close to them, and then you look at their life. And the closer you get to them, the more you discover about how healthy they are, not how unhealthy they are. Because sometimes we will think, man, this person's really got my back. They're really a good influence. But the closer we get, the more we realize, wait a second. Wait a second. It's kind of like the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, when Toto pulls back the curtain. It's like, whoa, you're not big and scary with fire and big booming voice. You're a little old man who's scared. And that's the times we find that. But the closer you get to people and the more you see the inner workings of their hearts and minds and lives, and you realize, wow, they're the real deal. Those are the kind of people that you want to have influence in your life. That takes time. Now, Kim and I, there's a lot of people that I could point to and say, yeah, they, they function that way. But there's, there's one family, one couple in particular, that they live up in, in Newburgh, Oregon, that have been that for us. Their name's Clyde and Terry Zahn. I didn't ask permission. They're in Oregon. They'll hear about it later, and it's only good stuff anyway. But they're an amazing couple who loves Jesus. And I don't just say, just to be cliche, they love Jesus with every aspect of their life. In their marriage, in the way they raise their kids. They have two grown kids now, and they are amazing. Their daughter is a nurse who's traveled the world to use her nursing skills to care for people so that they'll hear the gospel. Their son is an area director for Young Life and has literally reached hundreds of students in public high schools that have come to know Christ because of what he's done. I mean, they're amazing. So Clyde and Terry are amazing people because they love Jesus and they allow Jesus to steer their life. They're consistent. They're faithful. Uh, I told, I've shared stories about outreach in Newburgh. We had like tons of different outreaches going on in our city through our church. They were involved with every single one of them. There were, there were weeks where five nights a week they were serving in different outreaches every single night. And never were they ever complaining they were tired. Because their passion for Jesus and for helping people drove them. Just a couple years ago, they came to grips with the fact that they're, they're very both successful in their careers. They have quite a bit of money, extremely generous people. But they had this family property that they've owned for generations that prior to them. But they, their kids grew up there and had become a pretty valuable piece of property in Newburgh with a nice house on it. And they said, we don't need this. We want to be able to be free to travel. We want to be free to be more generous. We want to make sure that we don't, we're not doing things for ourselves. So they sold it, and they bought a small house. And they took that on. Now they have a resource, and it was, it was about nine acres, and now they don't have to maintain nine acres. They have to maintain a sliver of an acre, and they're fine with that. And every decision they make in their life, I think, wow, they, there's something genuine. And they don't do like, ta-da, look what we did. They don't do that. They just live their life out consistently following Jesus. And I look at their lives and I think if my life or Kim and I and our relationship and our kids, if we kind of turn out like the Zons, we'll be doing well because they've produced good fruit in their life and therefore we allow some, some influence. In fact, Hope Denton's here. Hope's going to go on a trip to Kenya with a team that they're a part of. And I hooked her up with them because I said, these are good people. These are people that will be good influences in your life. So, as I conclude this morning, some of you are thinking, well, shoot, I don't have anybody like that. Can I borrow yours? Like, sure, they're free. But the way, the way that you and I discover influences in our life takes time. And it may be time of weeding out influences that shouldn't be there. 
Again, this is the difference between influence and friendship. It's not saying that you can't be friends with people that maybe produce bad fruit in their life, but you better not let those people influence your life so that you produce the same bad fruit. So you need to look for people that when you look at them, you think, you know what, that's consistent with, I think, what Jesus would want a life to look like. They're making decisions in their life that I struggle with, but if I were like them, then I know I would be living out the life that Jesus wants me to live. And you begin to look at people that way, and you begin to get closer to them, and you just glean from their experience. It's not that you have to set up some formal mentoring relationship with them. Just be their friends and watch their life, and then ask them. Ask them for input. Ask them for advice. When you see them navigate a difficult situation, say, hey, how did you come to that decision? How did you process through that in your marriage? How did you do that in your life? Because I want to know because I see good fruit in your life. I haven't found too many people that say, well, I don't want to share that with you. I don't want to tell you about that. Most people say, yeah, I can share you. It's, it's, not, it's not like rocket science, but I'll share this is how I did that. This is what God did in my life. But it's things that you and I have to be willing. This is so important because what we will talk about next week as well, these are all related. The road, the wide road or the narrow road, the fruit that we choose to eat, and then next week we'll talk about the foundation you and I choose to build our life on. These are deal breakers. These are the ones that ultimately will determine where you and I end up. Will we enter into life or will we enter into destruction? These are the decisions Jesus is saying you and I have to make. One of those is the influence that we allow people to have in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you again for an incredible analogy to help us to see clearly on what is false and what is true and what a false prophet is by the fruit that is produced in their lives. But Lord, we know that as you use the negative example, you have peeled back layers for us to see what the good side looks like. And that's the good fruit that you produce in people's lives that, Lord, we can see produced in ours. So, Lord, I I ask that this morning that no one would be discouraged by feeling like I don't have those kind of people. But, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to those around us. Open our eyes to people that we can see and, and maybe that we know that we should gravitate towards. That we should, we should emulate in our life. That we should allow influence. And also, Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to those influences that maybe we're not even aware of, that we've allowed in, that if we continue for them to influence us, Lord, we're going to end up producing bad fruit in our lives. Lord, give us that clarity. And Lord, I know that only comes by your Holy Spirit's work in us. So Lord, fill us with your Spirit so that we can see clearly. But Lord, we know that when we are filled with your Spirit, then your Spirit produces the fruit that should be in our lives. So Lord, help us to live that out in Jesus' name. Amen.